Chapter 5 The Envy of Every Woman A Mercedes-Benz 770 sedan sped out Theresi and Stadenklaus's command, which he issued right before swallowing the stale air swirling around the back seat of the car. Sitting next to him was Hermann, who noticed how relieved Klaus looked. He looked more relieved than what Hermann felt, and more tired than before, and his eyes began to flutter. Turning from this, Hermann saw that the car had reached an impasse, a mass of men, women, and children walking in the opposite direction, flanked by a handful of soldiers. Slowly the vehicle passed through them, and Hermann noticed how they were struggling, not just to walk to the camp, but also to carry what was left of their possessions. These they had taken from the Bohushevitsa train station a few kilometers away, toward what for many would be their final destination. There were a thousand of these people, but one in particular stuck out to Herman, a little girl who caught his attention by carrying a broken doll that seemed to reflect all the fears her face was unable to express. Herman continued glancing into the crowd as they drove on, and he saw something else. He saw himself walking to the camp the summer before, among those who were both different and the same as those arriving that day. He saw this in another memory-like experience, in which he was carrying a suitcase in one hand, and a crumpled pink slip of paper in the other. He was also looking back every few seconds, despite knowing there was nothing to look back upon. Within a flicker of time, Herman returned to the Mercedes. He did as it came to a stop in front of an elderly woman, who was on her knees and looking at them with sad and hopeless eyes, while grasping her suitcase with both hands. Move, hollered a soldier from nearby. But she didn't. She either couldn't or wouldn't. Again, the soldier repeated his command, this time firmer and from a few steps away with his rifle drawn. While watching in horror as the soldier put his finger on the trigger, Herman recalled a similar incident from his not-too-distant past, and he grabbed the door handle. He was just about to push the door open when one of the men in the crowd took hold of the woman and swept her and her suitcase away. The Mercedes continued on, and Herman turned to Klaus. Seeing that he had fallen asleep during the melee, he glared at him, recognizing just how different Klaus had become from the man who had been his friend, and how he could never be this man again. He glared until they reached the train station, where he saw all the empty cattle cars on the tracks, waiting to go and collect some more cattle. They sent Herman back to a car that was just like them at Prague's Hibernska station, where he sat on the floor, pressed against a splintery gate made from planks of wood, after catching his last glimpses of Anna, apart from those inside his mind. Though this re-experience didn't last long either, and he again found himself in the Mercedes as it came to the end of the street and the town. There it paused for a few seconds, before turning right into a long and empty country road in the direction of Prague. Glancing once more at Klaus, Herman saw that he was writhing in his sleep. He was tossing and turning, 
looking as if he were in the midst of not just a nightmare, but a great conflict, too. Despite his anger toward the man, Herman felt uncomfortable watching this. This caused him to once more turn forward. Along with this, a collection of vague fears overtook him, and the car and everything inside it changed into a very different one. The railroad car that took him to Prague for the first time more than two decades earlier, a few years after the end of World War I. Herman arrived in the city around midday, not long after it had become the capital of what would later be known as the First Czechoslovak Republic, which marked the first time that the city had been the capital of an independent country since the Battle of White Mountain 300 years earlier. Wide-eyed, Herman gazed through the train's window, feeling not only exhausted but hungry too, having survived a three-day journey mostly on a sack of cheap deep-fried bread called langosh. This journey had led from his childhood home in the eastern frontier of the new country and into the unknown. It also had led from the arms of his mother, who cried during their long goodbye. She cried even more than she had before he left for the army years earlier. I think this was because she knew they were parting for good. My grandfather recounted all this years later at Newark Airport when he sent me off to my first job after graduating college. My grandmother had passed away that summer, and this would be the first time he'd be alone since Theresienstadt. Like his mother, he had tears in his eyes, and I think for the same reason, as it would be the last time I would see him, apart from my memories. You'll come and visit us in Jerusalem, won't you? Herman's mother murmured to him outside the forest in front of their home, even though they both knew that the only Jerusalem she would ever see was in her dreams. Yes, Mama, he told her before starting down the road with his heavy trunk. While he was excited to leave, he was also afraid to go. So he tried not to look back. But he couldn't help himself and he saw now that his father was crying too. Though he always believed that the man was crying not because he was sad, but because he was happy. He was happy that Herman was realizing a dream he'd never been able to realize for himself. Back on the train in Prague, Herman jumped off with his heavy trunk before it even came to a stop at Wilson Station, which had just been renamed that after the American president, who had helped Czechoslovakia come to be. Hermann then was much different than the man who was leaving Theresienstadt. He wasn't just younger. The years he had spent in the army had thickened him in many places, and when he saw his reflection off a mirror-like wall, he noticed how sharp he looked in the hand-tailored suit his next-door neighbor had made for him. This was a suit that took three months of savings to pay for, and that was just for the materials. He could only afford the whole thing because Mr. Jacobs had provided his labor for free, as a thank you for all the snow Herman had cleared from the walkway of his home since he had been a boy. Even with his fancy suit and all his thickness, 22-year-old Herman still looked like a boy in that crowded station, and not just because of his youthful face. Complimenting this was his thick brown curls, 
which he would say were the envy of every woman he met and needed trimming twice a week. He was much like a boy in the inside, too, despite all the horrors he had witnessed during a war that was said to end all of them. Or maybe it was because of this. Hurriedly, Herman rushed out of the station, and he thought about splurging for a cab, especially when he breathed in the hot and thick late summer air. But realizing that he needed to conserve the little funds he had, he instead hurried his trunk to Wenceslas Square a few blocks away. From there, he was practically skipping as he rushed down what is actually more of an avenue than a square, in the direction of Charles University, where he'd been accepted into the law faculty. Decades earlier, the 500-year-old school had split into separate Czech and German colleges, reflecting how the population of the country was split into Czech and German speakers, and the latter was what he would attend. Despite the heaviness of his trunk and all his fatigue, the walk to school seemed short to Herman. He even forgot about his hunger and his ever-increasing thirst while ignoring the smells of the sizzling kielbasas coming from the vendors lining the streets and the aroma of fresh pilsner drifting out of the pubs he passed. He could do all this because the walk to and through Old Town was like making his way through all the fantastical tales his father had told him. Tales filled with ghosts and golems and impossibly beautiful women. In many ways, the trip was like passing through the man's dreams, which had long become his own. While this trip awed Herman, it wasn't the size of Prague or its age that did. Even though he had grown up in a rural village, by then he was no stranger to big cities. During his time in the army, he had been through many. Some were even bigger and older than Prague, but none were anything like it. The center of Prague was and still is a place where time has stopped, with every building seemingly more ancient than the next. Harmon felt that, with every step he was taking, he was walking deeper into a past that kept expanding before him, and he couldn't keep his jaw hinged. Finally, he reached the Carolinum, which was then the seat of Charles's German college, and almost as old as the university itself. This collection of buildings especially mesmerized him, as he knew his future was entwined with them. They mesmerized him so much as he continued down the street that he couldn't even recall entering the lobby of his residency hall. One moment he was facing the facade of the Aula Magna, and the next he was in front of his room. In the threshold of this, he saw the strangest of sights, a tall muscular man his age, who had a big flock of blonde hair and the brightest blue eyes he had ever seen. This man was doing handstand push-ups against a wall, with beads of sweat glistening off his chest, while wearing only the type of buttoned undershorts that soldiers had worn during the war. Harmon didn't know what to make of this, so while glancing at the books on math and physics and geology in a case by the wall, he dropped his trunk by the unmade bed in the far corner of the room and gazed at his new roommate with rising curiosity. You must be Klaus, he uttered with a smile. Herman's smile was still on his face as he returned to the Mercedes, 
which was quickly approaching Prague and all the other wonderful memories waiting for him to re-experience. But he knew there would also be some not-so-wonderful memories lying in wait as well, and this overwhelmed everything else.